You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, so this morning we are going to continue our summer series called The Pursuit of Wisdom. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs in verse uh, chapter 16. But we began talking about the wisdom or using words. And that our words, they can either be planted as seeds or they can be fired as bullets. That our words hold the power to breathe life or death into those around us. Then we saw that laziness, that laziness may appear attractive, but work is what brings satisfaction. And we saw the lessons from the ant of all things. Then last week about self-control, that self-control is actually found in what we love. And that we think about self-control, it's the ability to recognize and to choose the important thing over what we might feel is the urgent thing. Well, today we're going to look at another topic, but I've noticed something kind of reading through Proverbs over the last several weeks, that Proverbs talks about that it doesn't focus near as much on how to make wise choices, but focuses on how to be the type of person that can then make wise choices. And Ren, this is especially true for the topic that we are going to look at today because Proverbs, it focuses on the idea of the type of person we need to become so that we then can be and make the wise choices. Because here's, I think, why this happens. is that Proverbs cannot give us a how-to on every situation that there possibly could be in life. And I think parenting gives us more illustrations than we'd ever care to use. Think about this. Uh, There are some great how-to books. And I would say, yes, you need to read them. But when your two-year-old has just dropped their sippy cup for the 17th time, they've dropped their spaghetti on the floor, and they're screaming at the top of their lungs, and at the same time your six-year-old's going, Mom, 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 Mom. And, you know, they sound like one of those seagulls on Finding Nemo. And then, you know, your teenager walks in is demanding more data for their phone and tablet. You know, it's in those moments that we're not going to think, now that book I was reading, I think it was page 176, third paragraph down, this is what I, I need to do. You know, so Proverbs doesn't give us just a list of how to do things, but talks about how to become a wise person that can then respond correctly in those situations, so a parent, at least a normal one, isn't going to call upon that book, that how-to. But hopefully by God's leading, maybe they step out of the room, they take a deep breath, they remind themselves that God has called them to love and to teach these children as difficult as it may be. Then we're reminded that God is parenting us as we are parenting our children. He has promised us that He will be with us in every situation and to give us what we need and that's what it means to be led by the spirit that's that's how we become wise people that can then make wise choices so today we're going to talk about pride and humility this is what we'll see pride 
Pride will be the guide. Pride will be what leads you and me to destruction. But humility is the guide to life. So if you will, turn to Proverbs 16. And we're going to be in verse 17 through 19. And it's interesting, this is smack dab in the middle of the book of Proverbs. And so what we're going to look at today is the idea of pride and humility. So let's begin chapter 16 in verse 17. This is how it begins. It says, the highway. So first of all, this is going to be a a raised road. It would be well-groomed, well-maintained. The obstacles of rocks and trees and and bushes, they've been removed. It sits above the floodwater, so you can travel in safety. And this would be a road that would have been well-traveled by other people, meaning people have gone before you. So it's going to say a wise person, this is the path they walk on. They walk on a path They walk in the step of others. They they learn from other people. So the highway of the upright, it turns aside from evil. So a wise person is not always going to have an easy life. They're going to have difficult circumstances. They're going to fall in and they're going to face temptation. But a wise person is going to turn aside or it'll say turn away from evil, Because this word aside, it means to depart from or to avoid. So one avoid. So, so a person walking on this road, when they come around a turn and they, they see something that's going to lead to evil, they, they don't go down that road to get a closer look. They're not a person that's going to walk up and get as close to the line as possible. No, they they want to avoid the line. They know that's what they should do. So they avoid evil. But that person also corrects it. So they're walking down a road and they, they fall into this temptation. But instead of making the same mistake and getting further and further down that road and continuing on that path, they stop, they take a deep breath, and they make the next right decision. And before long, they're... They're on the right path again. So the highway of the upright, they they turn aside, they avoid, and they correct from evil. And it says, whoever guards his way. This phrase, guards its way, it literally means to watch over. It it means to uh, protect. In fact, it's the Hebrew word that's used to describe a hawk. So a hawk is this person, a wise person that watches over their path like a hawk. They pay attention. I mean, they're, they're keenly aware of any movement that might be happening. So I did some research. The idea of a hawk, it, its eyes are eight times clearer than the human eye because their eyes face more forward in their head. So it's closest to us looking through a pair of binoculars. What happens when you're looking through a pair of binoculars, this field of vision narrows, but everything far off gets clearer. It does that with a couple of ways. And one, it's eliminating all of the distractions around us, and, and you're able to focus clearly. So just think about the implications of simply that phrase for life. Staying alert, not being distracted by... Uh, maybe others, or our circumstances, or our emotions. And then remaining focused on what we know 
is right. And what he's saying, Solomon's saying, this is characteristic of a wise person. They're going to walk on the king's highway. They're going to turn aside. They're going to be aware of evil is around every corner. They're going to avoid it. They'll correct when necessary. And then they're going to go like a hawk. And they're going to watch over carefully. So notice what then happens to a wise person. If we do this, it says they preserves his life. A wise person preserves their life. Watching over your steps literally means to protect your soul. In fact, this first verse tells us that the way we live our lives, that the choices that we make, they're not just alternative lifestyles. They're actually life and death. And that is what is at stake. And so what we're going to see is that pride is that path that leads and guides to destruction. But humility, it's going to guide us to life. So let's look at what I call the promise of pride. Verse 18. He said, pride goes before destruction and haunty spirit before a fall. And so this is a very common verse. It is often quoted, a pride, it goes before, it comes before the fall. So, so what, how do, what is then pride? Well, as a noun, it, it's an improper or an excessive view of ourselves. As a verb, it's anything we might do or we might think to exalt the view of how we see ourselves or what we want others to think about us. But here's the, the truth, is that pride is more dangerous than we could ever imagine. Because I want to show us how God views pride. We're in chapter 16. Turn back to chapter 6, or beginning around verse 16. Chapter 6 of Proverbs, around verse 16. Now, beginning in verse 16. It's going to list six things it says that the Lord hates. And look at what the very first one listed. It says six, six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. And the very first thing that is listed is haughty eyes. And these are prideful or arrogant eyes. It's another use of pride. These eyes, it's how a person views themselves or anyone else around them. But man, isn't it hard to swallow that word hate? You know, I think we've all experienced hate, maybe in some form or fashion. And usually it means that we loathe something. It might be that we avoid them. We, we want to destroy them. We'll speak ill of them. We'll even vote against them. We'll do anything possible to forget them. But imagine hate in the heart of God intensified and multiplied countless times, but a righteous hate. Meaning pride, it is repulsive and it is putrid to God. So get this, that it says that so much in verse chapter 16, you go back to verse 5, it says that pride will not escape God's punishment. This is how much it repulses him. I love how Jonathan Edwards puts it. 
He says, pride is the worst viper that's in the heart. It is the first sin that ever entered into the universe. And it lies lowest of all in the foundation of the whole building of sin. And it's the most secret, deceitful, and unsearchable in its ways of working. It is ready to mix with anything. And nothing is so hateful to God and contrary to the spirit of the gospel. And that is how serious we are to think about pride. So if that's what pride is, then what does pride do? I like to think, what does pride need to survive? Well, I've got three things, or three ways. One, pride actually needs to feel better than others in some way. That's what pride is after. Pride needs to feel better than others in some way. If you've ever read Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis on this thought says it like this, that pride, it gets no pleasure out of having something. That's not what pride is after. Pride only has pleasure in having more than of a certain thing than the next person. So proud people are really not proud about being successful or intelligent or good-looking. They're proud of having more success, more intelligence, and better looks than the people around them. So for pride, it's the comparison that makes us proud. It's the pleasure of kind of maybe feeling above the rest. And pride needs that to survive. But pride also seeks to take the place of God in our hearts and lives. So pride is what it's doing. It, pride wants to be your supreme. It wants you to be your supreme being. The pride heart seeks to take God's place. Where we might see pride is the refusal to let God be God. Pride is grabbing God's status for our own. Listen to how Tim Keller thinks about this. He says, pride is turning down God's invitation to join the dance of life as a creature in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator. So pride, it's what makes us look at our lives and say, man, look at what I have created. Look at, look at what I've accomplished. Man, I deserve this or that. And allow that just to sink in for a minute. I mean, think about how upset we become when we don't get something that we want. Pride is questioning that God really is the giver of all that we need. And I think one of the greatest examples we have in Scripture, uh, thinking about taking God's place. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4? So he's at home. He's prospering in this glorious palace. And he has a dream. And this dream, it, it makes him afraid. But he doesn't know exactly what this dream means. I mean, he's king of the world at this time, literally. He has everything. But he can't sleep. And he knows this dream's bad. He, he kind of feels the threat. But he just can't quite understand what it means. So enter Daniel. Conclusion from Daniel is this to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, you're sinful. 
and tells him you're prideful. And in this dream, God is warning you to stop it and to start walking in righteousness. So 12 months later, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of his palace. And he is overwhelmed not with God's greatness, but his own. Let me just read for us in Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. Just think of a king thinking this. And the king answered and he said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory, and get this, of my majesty? And I love this part. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been spoken. Your kingdom, you don't know it, but it's already departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against King Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from the men and he ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. So pride seeks to take God's place, but pride will always have a fall. And so number three. So the third thing pride needs to survive is that it will be consumed with the things of itself. You know, pride is that ugly part of our heart that causes us to be more concerned about ourselves and our reputation than we are about Christ and His. So let me just kind of walk through maybe some examples. Think about envy. Envy is this awareness of what someone else has. And we are concerned that it should be ours. So why does someone else's promotion or success or praise, why does it move us to envy and not joy? Well, it's because we don't want others to appear better than us. And we're convinced that we are more worthy or maybe more deserving. And that's simply pride. Or think about deceit. Why do we lie or mislead others with our words? Almost always it's because we want to gain something for ourselves that we think we deserve. Or we do it to hide something from others that we fear might make us look bad. Why would we do it? It's pride. Or think about hypocrisy, kind of living two different lives. Why are we motivated to pretend that we are something that we aren't? Because we fear of being seen and known for what we really are. I mean, that's simply pride. Think about greed. Greed at the core is the desire to make more of or for ourselves than God wishes or permits us to have. I don't know if you remember the late uh, preacher Adrian Rogers, Southern Baptist preacher, he said it this way, the reason why we are going into debt is that our neighbors keep buying things we can't afford. 
But why do we desire to keep up with others? Why is it so powerful? I mean, it's pride. We can't stand the thought and thinking of people that we're not as rich or successful or as talented or as deserving. Why? It's pride. I mean, I could go on with bitterness and strife and, and slander. What we see is that, that pride is the perfect soil for sin. Let me just kind of give us a word of caution before we kind of look at the last verse. Maybe you're sitting there and you might be thinking, well, I'm not for sure. Where's the pride in my life? I, I try to be careful about this. Well, maybe ask or think about what causes you to be most frustrated with other people. When or over what are you most easily angered? I think oftentimes what we are most proud of in ourselves is probably what will frustrate us the easiest about other people. You know, you might pride yourself on being the hardest worker in the room. Then you will be easily frustrated by people who seem to be lazy. Or maybe it's you pride yourself on being financial savvy. Well, you could easily be frustrated by people who seem to be loose with their money. Where you're most easily, and I most easily or quickly frustrated, might just reveal an area of pride in our lives. We need to be aware because destruction or fall will usually happen where we are most proud. Because pride leads us and guides us to destruction. And it's only humility that will lead us and guide us to life. So, Let's look at the last verse. So we've seen the king's highway. We've talked about the promise of pride. So here's a better way to live. And it's in verse 19. It says, It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So first of all, listen, this is a mindset that the world will never understand and it will never go after. A lowly spirit means to live humbly. It's to have a, a humble spirit about us. And I think what Solomon is kind of saying here is that the idea of pride is so dangerous. It is, it is so destructive that we should avoid it even if it means financial loss. Because that's usually what we're most concerned about. And he says pride is so dangerous, so destructive that we should avoid it even if it means financial loss or as one author said another way of saying this could be it's better to have an empty belly than a swelled head but here's the key a wise person is someone who is humble so so the key to wisdom he, he says is humility but humility is it's such a tricky thing I once heard one say that humility is hard to grasp, but it's even harder to hold on to because once you think you have it, you've just lost it. And, and that's, how, that's how tricky humility is. So, so how, do we get, how do we acquire humility? Where, where do we get it? Well, you can't get humility by trying to be humble. In fact, we can't talk about humility w without it kind of going away. We can't look and work directly on humility. That, that's not how it goes. Because we can, we can even become prideful in our accomplishment of humility. But 
what are we supposed to do? Instead of looking at humility, we must look to someone else. And that someone is Jesus. Because humility is actually a byproduct. Humility is a byproduct of wanting something more than actually being humble. Because if being humble kind of is the goal, if that's my goal, okay, I want to be a humble person, then I've just made it about me. But humility comes by wanting Jesus above all things. And so to see this, I actually want to go to the verse that Adam read. Go to Philippians chapter 2. I want to show us that you get humility not by focusing on humility. You have to look somewhere else. And it begins in chapter 2 of Philippians, beginning in verse 3. Paul's writing the church of Philippi, and he says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, or we could say pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, pride, but also in the interest of others, humility. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul's desire is for these readers to live a, a, have a lowly spirit or, or humility. He wants them to live humble lives. But he doesn't give them a five-step thing to do. He doesn't give them a spiritual checklist. That if you'll just do these things, then one day you'll wake up and boom, humility. Paul doesn't give them a list. He gives them a person. He gives them Jesus. Because continue reading in verse 5. Or go back in verse 5 through 11. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So you don't focus on being humble, we focus on Christ. That Jesus, he, he gave it all up, he, he set it all aside. The king became a servant. The author of life submitted himself to death. And in doing this, in that glorious act of humility, he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated pride, he ransomed us, he saved us, he redeemed us. He emptied himself so that we could be filled. So pride is seeking to fill yourself. It's to get glory, to look beautiful, to be great. But humility is seeking to be filled with Christ, to give Him glory, to see His beauty in His greatness. So humility comes by reminding ourselves that Jesus was treated the way we deserve. So now when we believe in Him, we are treated the way He deserves to be treated. So we get humility not by focusing on humility, but by focusing 
in Christ. So let me close with just some examples. So maybe when we're tempted to take credit for the things we've accomplished, look at what I've done, look at what I've been able to do. We need to look to Jesus because everything we accomplish in this life is because of Him. When we see others and what they have, and we begin to question, why don't I have those things? We look to Jesus and we trust that He has given us all that we need, and what He chooses is what's best. When we begin thinking too much of ourselves, we look to Jesus, the King, who humbled Himself to serve us, to save us, to make us beautiful and glorious, and not because we deserve any of it, but simply because He loves us. We are tempted to mislead people with our words because we're afraid of what the others might think. We look to Jesus who knows you completely, loves you perfectly, and accepts you fully. So what I hope we see today is that pride, it is that road that will lead and guide us only to destruction because pride will always have a fall. But humility, humility is that guide to life. And you can't get it by focusing on humility. You get it by looking Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.